0: If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I My you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome back. We are the Pod Fellas. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I'm Myron, and of course, joining me each week is Will.
2: Yay! I'm here! Hi
1: guys! Today we'll be reviewing the films The Trial of the Chicago 7 as well as the film The Devil All the Time and we will also be ranking our top 5 Aaron Sorkin works in honor of our Trial of the Chicago 7 review. But before we get to all this good stuff, first things first, let's start with a rundown on the latest in entertainment news. First things first, now we we don't want to get political. We are not a political podcast. However, there was this little thing that happened last week called The Election. And very uh, tiny. yes, very tiny. Um, <laughs> some might have called it a circus. Some are happy with the results. Some are not. But let's talk about the coverage because we are, in fact, an entertainment podcast. And this was definitely entertaining. So, Will, what was your thoughts about the election coverage overall?
2: I, I honestly feel like this entire podcast, this episode is going to be pretty heavy slash just political, uh, political even though we're not slash, political. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. But I mean, hey, you know, honestly, I'm I'm neutral about it. I mean, no matter what, I'll always respect who becomes our president and just hope, as we all do, we strive as a country towards unity, equality and, you know, the betterment of American community. Uh, I just <laughs> personally, I just wish people can find peace with each other when they agree to disagree and like, no, they can still be friends. Like, yeah. It's just it's, it's OK. It's fine.
1: Completely. You know? Completely. It's funny you said that, you know, you're neutral about it. But the one thing that was not neutral about this election whatsoever was the coverage in the press. And I'm at a loss for words about how one sided all of the news outlets are. Um, I was jumping around just for fun. I would watch a little bit of uh, Fox News and then I would, of course, then jump over and then I would check out uh, MSNBC. And it's so off the way they report the news and the context that they provide that it was extremely frustrating you know why can't there just be a neutral news source where we can just go to and and get information the way that it was designed to be had which is just from a very neutral not a black not a white perspective and uh i feel like that that just doesn't exist i mean it existed on that on the show called the newsroom which was something that uh, aaron sorkin uh, also wrote but uh in real life i don't think it does really exist and uh i don't know If we'll ever get something like that, I feel like the only thing happening with our news right now is it's getting worse. It's more extreme. More to the left, more to the right. Anyway, last question about the election here. Best election meme that you've seen?
2: Nevada taking forever to count their votes while Brock McKnight's song back at one plays in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen that meme?
1: Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. I died. Have you watched the Avengers meme yet?
2: No. Okay, that
1: I, one? I, I will send that over to you. It's okay. I, I haven't laughed so hard in my life, and uh, okay, that's an exaggeration. I have laughed harder, but <laughs> in regards to the election, I have not. Basically, uh, Thanos they put Donald Trump's head on Thanos, and he's talking to uh, Captain America, who has Joe Biden's face on, head on him, and oh then uh, Trump's saying, I've won, and then uh, of course, the music starts playing, and then all of the portals open up, and then all of the superheroes starts coming in, and then they all have different faces on it, like Stacey Abrams, Barack Obama andrew yang oh there and then th- there's a random sean connery sighting he, i don't know what he was <laughs> doing in that thing but he is but uh yeah I, i'll send you the link well you have to check it out and that if, is hilarious and if, those, if our listeners haven't seen that one is that one yet you have to check that out as well because uh it's out there it's popular folks check it out all right so there's a new movie coming out that looks great i'm excited for it it's called freaky yes and Basically, it's a play off of Freaky Friday, right? It's a tried and true uh, movie storyline where uh, two people that are polar opposites switch bodies, right? And in this case, you have a serial killer switching bodies yeah, with a high school girl, and uh, it happens like right before the prom. So now you have a murderous teenager, right, uh, going going to the prom, and then you have a teenage girl trapped in Vince Vaughn's huge hooking body, trying to avoid capture by the police.
2: Good morning. Good morning. That's me, Millie. Ordinary, boring Millie. I love your dress. I think I saw it at Discount Bonanza. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was never the most popular. Homecoming's this weekend. Booker is gonna be at the dance. And boys never really noticed me.
0: Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if this was a horror movie, I'd be one of the first ones to get killed
1: you, the creepy dude in the mask.
0: Like I said.
2: (laughs) But actually, it turns out. Where am I? I didn't get killed. Oh my God, why do I
0: sound like that? I woke up in the killer's body. The Blissfield Butcher strikes again. Don't freak out. (laughs) You're
2: black i'm
0: gay we are so dead will you stop sc- it's me it's millie hill hill blissfield high feel our glory and our might
1: and uh it looks funny it looks scary it's all those things that you want in a film and uh yeah what, what, what did you think about the trailer
2: oh yeah uh i think vince vaughn is going to kill it pun intended and catherine newton seems to execute Pun intended. Again, the look of a serial killer really <laughs> well. There are scenes where like the camera is uh, focused in her eyes, and the way she like lowers her brows, and she, you know that just that demise, serial killer that look. Serial yeah. killer look. I'm like, holy crap! She actually does this really well, and um, I think it's going to be funny, and similar to a Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead feel, but maybe not as clever as Shaun of the Dead because I mean, Sami Pegg's a genius. So
1: yeah. But totally. What about you? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the director, uh, the writer-director. His name is Chris Landon. And uh, mm-hmm. he uh, made a couple of Blumhouse films that were really successful called uh, Happy Death Day and also the sequel, Happy Death Day to You. And uh, he did the same thing there. He took another uh, tried and true movie plot line, which is the repeating day that uh, you know, we've seen multiple times, including, uh, including Groundhog Day. And he mm. did that and turned it into a horror movie where a girl is murdered and she's reliving that day over and over and over again until she's, she has to find her killer. It was funny, it was scary, it was all the things you wanted in a film. And how you know it's a good movie is that my wife liked it and it was a horror movie. She hates horror movies. And she saw this trailer and she was like, oh my gosh, we have to watch that. And we're both hoping that it comes out on demand in our homes, but from what I can see, I think it's only coming out in theaters, right?
2: i have a feeling that they have to go to video on demand it wouldn't make any sense at least Mm -hmm. put it in theaters select theaters but then it has to go video on demand they might change it who knows we'll see what happens
1: yeah yeah we'll see All right, but I I do think, though, that Blumhouse has another hit on their hands. They either knock it out of the park or they strike out pretty badly, but I think they're going to knock this one out of the park. Just my opinion here. That was a look at the latest in entertainment news. Now a look at our future episodes. Next week, we'll be reviewing the films Borat 2 which I didn't even know was coming out. And all of a sudden, like I I found out about it after like millions of people had already seen it. And also we will be reviewing another film called charm city Kings on HBO max. And then the week after we will be having another TV show twofer in which we will be reviewing the show, the boy season two, as well as the haunting of Bly manor on Netflix. Any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or reviews of our content, drop us a line at the podfellaspodcast at gmail.com. And please tell your friends about us. Our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, as well as Spotify. Spread and the love. Spread the love, people. All right, and now on to our first review of the episode. We will be talking about the trial of the Chicago 7, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Now, here is a look at the trailer.
0: We wanna underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're gonna spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? No words until I saw that. Are
1: the people ready to make opening
0: arguments? At the defense table, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Renny Davis, Lee Weiner, John Froines, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan. And the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of
1: the trial with friends like these.
0: <laughs> My trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors six and 11, they're with us. Juror number six and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Get your hands off me the first to suggest that i have discriminated against a black
2: man then let the record show that i'm the second
1: all right good trailer very well cut yes so well done yep and here's a quick synopsis of the film if you don't know what this movie is about it's the story of seven people on trial started as eight it became seven. It's explained in the film. Anyway, those people are are on trial, stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Now, to offer some backstory about the film, you may and you may or may you may or may not know these facts. Will, but I would like mm-hmm. to just kind of go through them with you. Aaron Sturken had actually written this kind of around 2007, 2008. And did you know that Steven Spielberg was attached to direct this film? Hmm. No, what could you see that combination though? It's a bit of an odd pairing, right? But I, I think it could have worked, right?
2: I, well, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to imagine like a Sorkin, you know, screenplay and then Spielberg directing it. Yeah, that would be interesting. Interesting but combination, kind of like it a, is
1: kind of like a Sorkin Fincher pairing that, that we saw in the social network. And that was great. I love seeing Sorkin's work in the hands of different directors, you know?
2: Yeah. But I think, I feel like Fincher in comparison to Spielberg, I feel like Fincher fits so much better with Sorkin. Spielberg's more like, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, how can I put my finger on with, with, with Spielberg? Like, I think
1: Spielberg's films are more about the movement and uh, Sorkin's yeah. films are more about the, the spoken the dial- word. The yeah. exactly. The
2: dialogue and whatnot. So, Yeah. I mean, granted, the only thing I could really think of, obviously, with Spielberg is like if if it was like the whole Schindler's List kind of vibe with the way how this is. I mean, yeah, maybe I think it would be interesting for sure. Yeah.
1: And then after Spielberg dropped out, uh, it was largely due to the writer's strike. Uh, Many other directors were attached at one point or another and then fell off, including Ben Stiller who was attached mm. to direct at one point. Then Paul mm. Greengrass, who directed the last three Bourne films. And then it was in development hell for a long time. And then after Aaron Sorkin showed that he could direct a film with Molly's Game, Spielberg said, hey, why don't you direct Trial of the Chicago 7? Oh, so, nice. Yeah. And then Trump uh, was elected president. And Netflix provided the funding. And then it started production with uh, Sorkin um, you know, attached to direct a script that he wrote. And then, strangely enough, the timing, I think, Will, we can both agree, is uncanny because yeah. of all the, the things that we're seeing in the news in terms of race riots and police brutality. And this movie talks about those things head on. So let me ask you first, Will, what did you like about this film and what were some of your favorite moments?
2: Dude, I honestly, I really enjoy how Sorkin was so articulate and meticulous with his dialogue in this film. I think the amount of information from seven different perspectives of those who are on trial, it felt overwhelming, but it was so necessary to flash out all the details. And I love that. I love details. Um, I really... This film, what stood out to me the most was I really enjoyed the editing and the timing of Mm. each cut to keep the momentum of the story going. It was clever intercutting the dialogue between very different scenes to provide like exposition. What gave it further praise was the cadence of the music applied to the cuts of the edit. That was so good.
1: It was almost cut like an action movie. And uh, he did a really great job because uh, there's so much exposition given. But mm-hmm. what he did do is those, ex- those pieces of exposition are given at the same time, but it's taking place in multiple different scenes. And the mm-hmm. way that he cuts back and forth never made the, the dialogue feel dry. You know? No. Yeah. It was really, such really, really a
2: great, beautiful dance, like a ballet that he did with the editing and the way how he was intercutting with it. It was very well, just smooth and graceful. Yeah. Um, I think absolutely. the cinematography. Mm -hmm. was great. The lighting and the colors gave awesome dimension and depth, especially in the courtroom. Like, of all places in a courtroom, right, where it's normally just dry and just ugly colors, whatever. Like, he really, really used lighting um, to give it such uh, a beautiful, like, feel to it It had yeah. an overall softness like to fit within the time period as well which was great
1: it was almost similar i don't know if you remember the film lincoln that took place in a lot of like indoor like courtrooms and mm. such uh there mm-hmm. was like an element of like almost like steam or like fog machines or light being shined through the windows through fog to kind of give it a sense of like i don't know dimension. what you call it yeah. dimension yes light light like, yes.
2: light flare like light beams and whatnot yeah, yeah i know exactly. exactly what you mean it's just to yeah. break up the just the foreground and the background and whatnot. Yeah. <clears throat> um, other than that, like, dude, the cast was solid. and Everyone worked so cohesively with strong chemistry. I, I especially love the energy and the passion coming from Mark Rylance playing the pro bono mm-hmm. lawyer, William Kunstler. Yeah, Academy Award
1: Win- winner, Mark Rylance. Yes.
2: Yes. When when the trial was in session. Like, you can tell how he wasn't in for the money, but seeking justice for the seven on trial because, like, of the obviously broken legal system. Mm-hmm. That, that was... That really stirred me as well emotionally. Was just how this is based on a true story, people, and and the fact that that this kind of situation happening, like people really need to be, uh, uh, people really need to have accountability. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that judge was definitely in need of accountability. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. He was so good though. Frank Langela. He was no, so Frank good Lan- as a yeah, judge. He,
2: was, he, he did a great job and he really pissed me off for sure. And that, that yeah. was the point. And so, yeah. but it, it was just more the reflection of like, this is what actually happens, you yeah. know? And, and it, it's, it's aggravating sometimes. So, yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, what so what I, what I, what I enjoyed about the movie is, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the social, uh, network review that we did a few months back, but watching a Sorkin movie is like watching an action movie where the words are the weapons. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you know, it's, you think of like a, like a machine gun, rapid firing bullets. Well, well, well in a Sorkin or, or movie, I'm just kidding. And yeah. <laughs> a Sorkin movie, um, it's just like the, the more uh, excitement or the more heightened the scene is, the more people talk. And usually yes. that turns people off in the film, not in his movies, right? Your pulse rate is elevated and you're drawn into what the characters are saying rather than tuning them out, which can usually happen when you hear bad dialogue. But Sarkin never writes bad dialogue, right? He doesn't.
2: No, not at yeah. all. It's always yeah. like, it's one of those things where you know how if your friends are arguing right, Mm-hmm. You're kind of like in the middle and you kind yeah, of wish you like, had a bowl, bowl of popcorn and just listening because it's yeah. just gets getting intense. Exactly. Like Sarkin does that really well.
1: That's a great analogy, Will. <laughs> totally, totally. And oh, then yeah. um, you talked about this. His use of cutting away to multiple different scenes and environments to mm-hmm. give exposition um, a sense of momentum. Um, and doing so makes the relay of information feel very organic and I dare say even exciting. And what he uses quite a bit is um, Sasha Baron Cohen. He plays one of the Chicago seven plays a character named Abby Hoffman. Right. And uh, right when you're in the middle of a scene, you're then cutting away to like some sort of either a comedy act or some sort of just storytelling moment where he's surrounded by a group of people. And he's like relaying the information after the fact. And uh, people are uh, enamored, and they're all listening. They're a captive audience, and we're in that audience listening to him tell the stories with such excitement. And mm-hmm. just that was really, really effective. Yep. Um, the performances, all of them, yeah. from Eddie Redmayne to Mark Rylance to Michael Keaton even, he has a cameo. He plays a former attorney general. Um, and uh, But I will have to say that Sasha Baron Cohen, surprisingly, outshines them all, perhaps yeah. because he's... He's playing a character that's really against type, but at the same time is right up his alley. And what's funny uh, is that I, I heard a story when Spielberg was attached to direct uh, Chicago 7. He had Sasha Baron Cohen attached to play Abby Hoffman. And then apparently the story goes is uh, when Sorkin was uh, uh, in talks to direct, um, Sasha Baron Cohen call, called him and said, listen, I was the guy that was supposed to play him originally. You don't need to, to go any further. I'm your guy. You need to cast me. And he did, and I thought it was perfect.
2: He's honestly, uh, apart from the films that I've seen, Sasha Baron Cohen, and a lot of the uh, uh, characters that he has made up over the years as a, as a comedian, like, man, when he's on it, as a, as a serious actor, like, he is on it. And, yeah. and it really shows the depth and the skills that he has. Like, he really did an amazing job in this film. And I was really blown away. Like, I took him seriously too. Cause even though, like, you know, obviously in the film, he's more of that one of those hippies, right? And, and just kind of like, you know, not taking things seriously. But at the same time, his intellect and, and just the dialogue that Sorkin wrote for him, oh my gosh, it like just came out of his mouth like butter. Like, it was just yeah. so influential when yeah. I was hearing uh, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen talk. So,
1: and in most of those scenes, he's going toe to toe with Academy Award winner Eddie Redmayne. And they're yes. just like, coming going at it with each other verbally and like he doesn't yeah he he doesn't shrink away he is right there going toe-to-toe with him and that was really really fun um so good yeah so good the courtroom scenes were great right and if there's one thing aaron sorkin knows how to write is a courtroom scene we're talking i want the truth you can't handle the truth Mm -hmm. Uh, sorkin was the guy that wrote those lines but uh i think the my favorite moment and it it's, it's my favorite because it made me feel something really strongly. It was disgust is what I felt, but mm-hmm. uh, it was done so well. Uh, it's basically there's a scene where a black man was bound and gagged in a courtroom. Um, it was just seeing it made me extremely uncomfortable. And uh, Serkin has a way of really uh, stylizing and really kind of heightening moments um, to the point where it may almost be like not true or not factual. But I, I did some research and apparently the judge really did have this man, a black man, bound and gagged in a, oh in a court court of law. Gosh. And it's insane. Yeah.
2: It really actually, I think, uh, heightened the the emotion that you were feeling as, lo- as well as mine. When Joe Gordon-Levitt got up and basically went up to the judge and was yeah. like are you really like you have a man, black man gagged and bound. Like, and I'll, we're, I feel like we're all think we're always thinking the same thing. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Seriously? And uh, Franklin, like his, like the, the judge, like he just didn't let up. And, yeah. and I was just, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was infuriated. Yeah. So infuriated yeah. with that scene. yeah.
1: And lastly, this movie is so timely. It's uncanny how timely it is. It's like, I was like, Watching this, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Did he, did he know this was going to happen? That's literally what it felt like. You know, The, the, the release of this film um, surrounded by you know an election and America in turmoil. It's, uh, it's a timely film. And so if anything, you may or may not agree with some of the things that we said. But I think that is for sure 100% true. This movie mm-hmm. is very timely. Yes. Now on to the weak points. Will, anything that you did not like about this film?
2: So I so I haven't done much research on the actual story of the trial of the Chicago Seven as as much as you have, but so I, I can't say I found anything off about the film, it, just just the ending the the ending of of the re, the resolution in the film where it felt frantically theatrical and I know if you know if you know what I'm talking about yeah where where Eddie Raymond reads off you know on the paper you, yeah. Uh, just you know don't want to have a spoiler alert or anything like that, but he reads something on on a paper and the way how it the camera was you know uh, dolling back or, or craning back and, and just kind of showing the 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 uh, huge commotion and the way how like it was just done it, it felt very like manipulated I said, just manipulated and, and a bit more Hollywood ish I guess in that yeah. moment. so yeah,
1: I do agree there I do yeah. agree. Um, and you know, at the same time, that's not a huge weak point, right? No, it still was it fun, wasn't. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, For me, so I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. I've watched all of his work. And the one thing I noticed is that um, he does have this thing of writing dialogue or having scenes that become too uh, Sorkinex Sorkinesque, I should mm. say. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is uh, he has characters that kind of state the obvious in a different ironic way. Case mm-hmm. in point, if you're the guys that invented Facebook that you would have invented Facebook. Or he has scenes where two people are in a room and they're at odds with one another and they're both talking like past each other, almost talking out loud um, about two completely different things, even though it sounds like they're kind of talking about the same thing. Uh, one example of that is the eisenberg Mara bar scene in the social network, right? Mm. He has these moments. And some of the other things that he does is... Uh, with a true story, he'll create a fictitious moment that just seems too convenient. And that happens here in which Joe Gordon-Levitt's character is at the park with his two daughters. And I believe he runs Uh, into uh, two characters, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. And And, uh, Jerry Jerry Rubin um, played by Jeremy Strong. And they have uh, an encounter where they share dialogue and they show, they talk about their different principles and how Joe Gordon-Levitt is able to do his job in the courtroom. And it's like, okay, this probably didn't happen but he probably thought it would be a nice dramatic moment stuff like that kind of tends to stick out for me but these are very small weak points in a very very good film so nothing really to complain about here yeah all right so then with that being said what is your final review of the film
2: i give this film four solid stars solid cast solid dialogue really great editing and soundtrack just a little theatrical with the ending but man i if I can see more films with that that can edit like this, ah man, I am I'm, I'm I'm all in. You know what I mean? It's just so yeah. clever. I really loved it. So,
1: got it, got it. Yeah, I give this a four and a half out of five stars. Really not a flawed film at all. It sometimes mm-hmm. verges on relying too heavily on common Sorkin storytelling techniques, which we talked a little bit about in our weak points. Mm-hmm. But these moments never take. They never took me out of the story. In fact, they only helped it. It largely worked in many of the things that it tried to do i will i will even dare go out on a limb and say this is the best movie i've seen so far this year granted wow. it is a very weak year for movies <laughs> and uh yeah like literally no movies so really, are coming out many so got really, pushed to really next year. <laughs> yeah yeah that's true yeah it's it's like uh i don't know it's like a winning uh nba championship during uh, a pandemic year it's not a real championship <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's a dig at you Laker fans out there. Go clippers.
2: Oh man.
1: Anyway, that was our in-depth review of the film The Trial of the Chicago 7. We'll take a short break and come back with a review of the film The Devil All the Time. Stay tuned. Fourteen years ago, I
0: released a movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. Oh, wow, wow, wow. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee land to carry
1: out secret missions.
0: I go to America!
1: What do you say? No, it's not me. People make recognize my face. I would need
0: disguises. This man a sex criminal?
2: No, no sex criminal.
0: I will take this to be a fat <laughs> like American man.
1: Yeah? This is a good one. <laughs> Where is his crumb? What is problem, officer? You got somebody that's
0: strapped to the top of your car. He's so in that passenger seat, boss.
1: Only men and bears are allowed
0: inside car. I'm here to give my daughter as a gift to someone close to the throne. I need dress with real sexy peels.
1: Uh this is a bag that just goes mm. over the dress.
0: They're nice.
1: I really like this.
0: Let us present Sandra Jessica
1: Parker Drummond.
0: I want this one with the baby on it. Oh, oh, oh. I have a baby inside me.
2: Can you take it out? No, we cannot. That's not what we do
0: here.
1: I feel bad because I was the one who put the baby in her. Did you ever put one in your daughter?
0: No, I did not. you knew the to Baltimore. You gotta go to the ride. The ride? Right. Every Sunday in the summer, everybody with a bike show out. This bike, as far as you can see, Hold a bike back, straight up, like the hands of a club when they hit midnight. What's that? That's Midnight Click. It got the best bikes, the best tricks, the best riders. Just flex. Midnight Click Legend. So that's who you want to be down with, then? One bet? Bet you, 50 bucks. <laughs> my bike is the I'm best one yourself. out of all play of us, bro. Last year, I was just mouse. This year, I'm finna be MNC mouse, And nobody gonna stop me. Cook ain't gonna respect you till you pull up on a new bike. This ain't a charity, but you could rebuild it if you want to earn it. What about my friends, though? I'm not working for free in no auto shop. That ain't even how you go about getting your own bike in Baltimore City, yo. How you do it then? Like that. Y'all do exactly what I say, and you gonna get paid. Where you get all this? Oh, Lord, everything costs You, you need to be more wise about who you make your friends. When it's time to be loyal, everybody disappear. I just want you to know that I'm here for you and that I got your back. You never been? To the ocean. I ain't never been outside West Baltimore before.
2: We'll go one day. Don't give up on your dreams. They don't get no easier to hold on to.
0: Boys wait for other people. Men go out and get it. What you wanna do? Where you been at today? I would lock your ass up. Staggering us finish. You know the Know what a second chance life for people like me and you? People like us don't get no second chances, mouse. You know the You know the routine. Just promise me you're gonna do right.
1: Alright, we are back. That was a look at the trailers for Borat 2 and Charm City Kings, which we will be reviewing next week. And Now on to part two of our episode with a review of the film The Devil All the Time, starring many famous, many, many famous people, many great actors. But I will just name two for now, Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson. Here's what the movie's about. And this is a very broad um, <laughs> description. Sinister characters converge around a young man played by Tom Holland, who's devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town, teeming with corruption and brutality. That's such
2: a broad stroke. It is such a broad stroke of what this film actually really is.
1: (laughs) Now, now what's kind of funny, though, is like the biggest stars in this movie are superheroes. You got the Batman, you got Mm -hmm. Spider-Man, and you got Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier, all in this movie, all playing against type. And, uh, you know, I thought they were all pretty good for the most part. But let me ask you first, Will, what did you like about this movie?
2: So this this was a type of film I haven't seen in some time. It had an an Italian near realist style, but I can only assume such a story like this is a true story in certain places. Like maybe Uh, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Whoa, that's crazy. But. For those who may not know Italian Neorealism, like it, it was a film movement after World War II distinguished distinguished by stories about the poor and the working class. It dealt with difficult economic and moral conditions of everyday life, including poverty, oppression, injustice, and desperation. True Neorealism though films use non-actors, but what the devil all the time had were all the above except non-actors. Uh, speaking of the actors, this, was a powerhouse of a cast so let's back up a little bit yeah
1: before we talk about the actors there i want to talk about this italian neorealist style sure Um, i i picked up on this too and it seemed like there was a strong sense of innocent hardworking people that went to war and came back as a shell of themselves and they're all dealing with the effects of war how it affected their psyche how -hmm. it affected the people around them their town economy yeah yeah and how it kind of oppressed people and made people do things that they wouldn't normally have done, right? Is yep. that a part of the Italian neorealist style where just the the results of war is weighing heavy on people, would you say? That, but also uh,
2: just inequality of the working class and, mm-hmm. and just the idea of uh, just trying to survive you know, during, during such difficult times, it mm. could be war. It could be the great depression. It could be, it could be any of those things. If it's, if it's an economic hazard or governmental hazard, whatever the case is, basically Italian neorealism was basing off of those um, kind of uh, concepts in that construct, I mm-hmm. guess you can say. So yeah, pretty much it's, it's pretty much hand goes hand in hand with what this film was dealing with so yeah interesting it's and, and the thing is I uh, this may be a spoiler but um you know i mean it's on near realism the whole point of it too is that there is no happy ending <laughs> realism yeah. is and there really isn't ending. here no there yeah. is not no. so if you want to <laughs> if you want to watch it watch it for the sake of the appreciation of the style And, and like how film is obviously biased and film, there's just so much to express. It doesn't always have to be happy ending, you know, but just watch it and realize like just the style and appreciation for it. So yeah, Yeah. there's no, there is no happy ending. This is a very, very depressing film. Okay. Yes. All right. Anyway, back
1: to to your point about the actors.
2: Yes. Powerhouse cast. So many recognizable faces from Bill Skarsgård, obviously, if you don't. Yeah, yes, that's it. Yeah. Sebastian Stan. Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, Robert Pattinson, the Batman. Batman. J- Jason Clark. Uh, John Connor. Wallace. John Connor. Yeah. Too. <laughs> uh, Harry Melling. Dudley Dursley uh, for Dud- the win. D-
1: <laughs> FTW.
2: Mia Wazikowska. Alice, Alice in Wonderland. Wonderland. Yep. And of course, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> All of which did such a great job. And dude... British people execute the American country accent and the American accent in general so well. <laughs> yeah. I was actually very well convinced. I, I really didn't mind, and I know this might uh, be the opposite for you, uh, yeah. Myron. But I, I really, minded it. I, I really <laughs> didn't mind Robert Pattinson's technique. I'm not using a vocal coach and coming up with his own rendition of of the <laughs> accent, country accent in in a they very were. unique. A very but, unique rendition. <laughs> but he really made it fit and especially kind of creepy for the role that he was playing. So, yeah. like, it really it really was like, ooh, yeah, you are not a cool person. Don't like you kind of thing, you know? So, yeah. um, and as heavy of a film this was, I enjoyed it. It really brought me back to yeah. film school of how I can see certain influences the story had of neorealism. A style and movement that wasn't mostly any audience's cup of tea, really. So, yeah. But like I said, you know, there, there's if you don't have, you know, you, there's people who are gonna love a film, who hate a film, and in the words of Guillermo del Toro, like one of my favorite directors, you know, he says, at the end though, appreciate it, respect it, you know, mm-hmm. because people worked really hard on mm-hmm. to really kind of send a message that that they wanted to express. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's an art form. So yeah, yeah. What about you? Uh, what are your right. liked favorite moments?
1: All right. So before I get to that, I do want to talk about a few factoids. I should have brought this up earlier, but it's a good time to bring it up now, I think. So just like we were talking about, it was partially inspired by true events. Very loosely, I would say. The writer of the book, his name was Donald Ray Pollock. He actually drew on many real life experiences. He actually told NPR that when he was nine, um, he watched his father brutally beat a bunch of insolent hunters. Um, so that there's a scene in the movie in which that happened. So he actually saw that happen himself. Um, wow. the, the narrator of this film is, Was actually the author Which was kind of cool I thought He, he wrote the, the book That this movie was based on Right Yeah And then uh, A few other things here I'd like to discuss This is actually Very very ironic here uh, We know that uh, The Winter Soldier Sebastian Stan Played Deputy Lee Bodecker Do you know who was Originally cast to play him? No Captain America there? Chris Evans <laughs> <laughs> No so Much like Much like in the comics Right, the Winter Soldier takes up the mantle of the shield and becomes takes over for Captain America. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> I, maybe that I was think a little dramatic, but yeah. Yeah,
2: but no, I think Sebastian Stan actually was the right choice, honestly, yeah. compared to Chris Evans. Yeah.
1: And uh, Robert Pattinson, we talked a little bit about his accent. Let's see, he studied tele- televangelism and uh, preachers from the 1970s, as well as pop stars from the era, and he came up with his own high pitched southern drawl. Without any help from a dialect coach, apparently the director hadn't even heard it until Pattinson started shooting that day. Yep. If I was a director, I would have been mortified. I'd be like, "What are you doing?" But I guess some people liked it.
2: I I definitely did. Yeah. I, I'm curious to see once we get to our weak points, like what it is about that you didn't like. All right. So all right, yeah, we'll see. And we get
1: the the last thing I'd like to discuss here is there is a scene where uh, Harry meddling. Uh, who once played Dudley Dursley in uh, Harry Potter, there's a scene, he plays a creepy preacher, and there's a scene in the film where he pours a jar of spiders, right? He Mm, mm -hmm. pours them all over himself, and it looked like CG. It was not CG. He actually took a jar of spiders and poured it all over himself. Yes.
2: (laughs) I mean, as long as they weren't deadly, but (laughs) they weren't deadly for Dudley, but uh, um, wow, that's... That's insane. They looked, they look CG, but I guess not. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, disgusting. uh, That was a slight (laughs) tangent here, but I hope you all uh, appreciated that little uh, deviation from our our our, uh, rundown here. But anyway, what I liked: strong performances by many of the ensemble cast members, especially Tom Holland. He plays a boy becoming a man while surrounded by acts of evil that are beyond his control. Uh, many of which are understandable many of which are not but uh, i thought he was the moral center of the film and uh, i thought he did a great job and i love the underlying theme and we talked a little bit about it and that's that human beings are good and they do the best they can to keep themselves and their families happy healthy and pure but external circumstances can be bad war is bad and it devastates not just physically but emotionally and psychologically as well But then it becomes maybe like a a vicious cycle. Who are the people that start war? People do, right? So in that sense, I mean, who is the source of evil here? And, uh, you know, in this movie, I don't really have an answer for that question. You sure we're Uh, watching
2: the same film here? (laughs) Just kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you a question here. Um, Who performed the most despicable act in the movie? Now, don't say what they did. You could just say the character. I don't want to give anything away for for our uh, listeners here. Ooh, the most despicable, despicable
2: yeah. act. Um, many people
1: do many despicable things, but yeah, what is the most despicable?
2: This film, you—if anybody who hasn't watched it yet—and our many set, choices. Yeah, you have a lot to choose from, and they're not light. Uh, I, at least for me, from all of them, um, I <laughs> Harry Mellings was was up there. W- Agreed. When I saw that, and I was like, "What the actual f?" Um, but also, also Robert Pattinson's or we'll say,
1: okay. Yeah.
2: Those, those were the two that I, that I, that really stood out to me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what well, the weirdest thing is, uh, there's also, a uh, two serial killers in this film. <laughs> and the weird yes. thing is we're not even talking about them no. in this conversation. Yeah. All right. Weak points. Anything you did not like about this film?
2: Okay. Uh, this is so for those who are are gonna watch this, and as I talked about, near realism, Italian near realism, and how like it, there's no happy ending. The other thing about this film that the only thing that was a weak point for me is that it is a long film. It's about two hours and 18 minutes. The pace for the most part was fine for me, but it could have been shortened by jumping from Arvin's childhood, which is played by Tom Holland, into his teenage years a little bit quicker. I I think that there's a like certain details certain things about that we could have gotten the gist of but at first like when i was watching the first i think half hour or so i was like where is tom holland like who like what what am i looking at here and i'm like wow that was a really long um spiel on his childhood before it gets to him actually growing up so Mm -hmm. i feel like that could have been shorter that's that's about basically it It wasn't like bad for me i i i was it was fine for me but i just know that it could have been shorter
1: right Okay, got it, got it. Um, You know, this movie was a hard watch, like really hard. But at the same (laughs) time, um, I liked this movie more than I should have because movies like this normally really turn me off, which is kind of weird. This film had a sort of Pulp Fiction-esque type of structure where multiple characters and storylines converge into one main story at the climax. And honestly, I saw it coming from a mile away. Mm. Uh, Could it have been uh, hidden better? Honestly, probably not, because we've seen movies like that so many times. But at the same time, it didn't take me out of the film. And I, knowing where a movie is going doesn't always make the movie bad. It's like you know, in a rom com, the the they end up together. It's like big surprise, right? No. Um, yeah. And here uh, we saw the end coming. Uh, did you see it coming? You, you kind of thought that was gonna happen, right? With Arvin's, with Arvin, and then um, you know the two, yeah, the two people in the car, yeah, yeah.
2: It, it's- man the ending i just knew the ending wasn't going to be good that was the only thing yeah
1: and uh i you like rob pattinson's performance there were two that i wasn't the biggest fans of mm-hmm. and uh it was the two characters really playing against type There was rob pattinson as a sleazy uh like evangelist preacher and also we talked a little bit about sebastian stan he it looked like he gained a lot of weight to play the sheriff a corrupt sheriff of the town mm-hmm. and uh I don't know. Playing those two playing against type made me kind of took me out of the film a little bit. Especially Rob Panson's performance. It seemed like he was really uh, chewing the scenery, really going for it. You know, going for the jugular. Uh, I didn't hate it, honestly, but I didn't love it. You know. So, um, but it's still overall a really, really great movie. Um, with that being said, uh, Will, what is your final review of the movie?
2: My final review. I give this film a three point five stars. It, it's a beautiful. Okay yet heavy drama that can bring you closer to a sense of reality than escape due to the never-ending unfortunate circumstances. This is a tasteful film, people, where it really leaves you wondering why you watched this in the first place. Your life is stressful enough. This won't help it. (laughs) But I still think it's beautiful. I thought it was a great film, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I give it three and a half stars as well. Uh, Cheers to Netflix that financed this movie Mm because I don't see a movie like this getting made unless there are a lot of stars involved and also unless there is like a streaming you know source to back it financially because it seemed like people given the nature of the movie wouldn't want to watch this in a theater but then again you know star power sells so that's definitely what this movie had it's a haunting drama that really had me thinking long after the film uh, given the story structure and graphic nature of the movie i should have liked it a lot less but i did really enjoy the movie and kind of like what you're saying it was an italian neorealist story but with huge stars, and huge. that gave it a real different feel, which but I enjoyed quite a bit.
2: Even so, like when you think about like the huge stars, and as anyone says, a powerhouse cast, like that—that's what it makes. M- you mostly want to also focus on is like the cast; they all have to fit. Even though, like like I said, Sebastian Stan, I think, was a better choice. I, I don't think I can really see Chris Evans playing the sheriff. Uh, Sebastian Stan just had this you know maniacal kind of vibe for me and and whatnot. and I just thought yeah he did a great job I could I didn't even recognize him at, at, at first either
1: great alright that was our review of the film The Devil All the Time it can be seen on Netflix right now we will take a short break and we will come back with our top 5 Aaron Sorkin works of all time stay tuned
2: Mark I'm not speaking in
1: code Erica
2: you're obsessed with finals clubs. You have finals clubs OCD, and you need to see someone about it we will prescribe you some sort of medication. You don't care if the side effects may include blindness. Final clubs, not finals clubs. And there's a difference between being obsessed and being motivated. Yes, there is. Well, you do, that was cryptic, so you do speak in code. I didn't mean to be cryptic. I'm just saying I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive. And fun, and they lead to a better life.
1: Teddy Roosevelt didn't get elected for president because he was a member of the Phoenix. He was fun. a member
2: of the Porcellian, and yes, he did. Well, why don't you just concentrate on being the best you you can be? Did you really just say that? I was
1: kidding. Although just because something's straight doesn't make it any I less. I want to try true. to be
2: straightforward with you and tell you that I think you might want to be a little more supportive. If I get in, I will be taking you to the events and the gatherings, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet. You would do that for me? We're dating. Okay. Well, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that we're not anymore. What do you mean? We're not dating anymore. I'm sorry. Is this a joke? No, it's not. You're breaking up with you me? You are going to introduce me to people I wouldn't normally have the chance to meet. What the f- What is that supposed to mean? Wait, settle down. What is it supposed to mean? Erica, the reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because he used to sleep with the door guy.
1: All right. We are back with our climax of the episode and uh will and i will be talking through our top five aaron sorkin works of all time just a quick rundown aaron sorkin started as a playwright he has written many tv shows and movies including uh, an american president a few good men um also of course steve jobs molly's uh molly's game chicago seven a few good men and also many tv shows including the west wing and sports night So if there's one thing that we know Aaron Sorkin to be is he is very, very good with words, right? Very good with dialogue. And that's uh, clearly visible in everything that he's ever written. He's also won multiple Emmys and he's won an Academy Award as well. But uh, I think that's a good amount of information for our listeners up to this point. I say we just go ahead and get started with the list. Let's do it. I'll start with my number five and I'll hand it back over to you. My number five film is Steve Jobs. Screen says it's an unimplemented trap, but the air code is wrong.
2: It's a system error. So
0: what's the upshot? It's not going to say hello. It absolutely is going to say hello. It's
2: nobody's fault.
1: It's you a system error. You built the voice demo. The voice Can demo is flaky. I've been telling
0: down. you that for this thing
2: is overbuilt. It worked last night. It worked the night before that. It worked three hours it's ago. It's not working
1: now, so just skip over the voice demo. Fuck you. everything else is working. Skip over the voice demo. We need it to say hello. You're not hearing me. It's not going to say hello. Fix it fix it yeah <laughs> <laughs> in 40 minutes fix i can't who's the person who can i'm the person who can and i can't now i don't know how much of this movie is fact and how much is fiction but man was it good amazing performances especially by Kutcher? michael fest <laughs> not that that's that's what we call the other steve jobs movie right <laughs> but anyway amazing performances by uh, especially michael fassbender i thought seth rogan was great kate winslet they were all good and of course jeff daniels who was in this movie and i believe this is the reason why jeff daniels was cast to be in the newsroom which was another sorkin show It's always interesting, like I said, to see what directors do with Sorkin scripts. And it's no different here with Academy Award winner Danny Boyle directing this film. Uh, David Fincher was actually supposed to direct this. And uh, he was supposed to be directing Christian Bale as Steve Jobs. But I think uh, that would have been good. But I think at the same time, uh, this movie was a really, really good watch. Uh, My favorite scene of this movie is uh, at the end of the film when Steve Jobs is is talking to his daughter and they have a very, uh, strange relationship, but he's trying to make amends. Right. And she basically talks to him like, how can you do this? Right. How can you be this way? And he has words that describe himself, um, the way he would describe one of his products. He says, I'm poorly built or I'm poorly made. One of those lines. And it's a very Sorkin line, but at the same time, not Sorkin because it says a lot with only like three words right and normally surkin uses a lot more words to get his point across which is not a bad thing but uh yeah that was my favorite line of dialogue in that film maybe, anyway back yeah. or yeah maybe you got that line cool.
2: though from his autobiography <laughs> who knows so
1: maybe um, all right back yes. over to you number five
2: so my number five as well is steve jobs uh, uh s- less because of the way how you explain it is only because it was a good film it was very polished and honestly, it was the last Dorkin film I've ever yeah. watched.
1: <laughs> so, like re- recency bias, I'd say maybe.
2: Yeah, it was, it was just literally. I mean, granted, I did watch the other Jobs, and and I was really more focusing on Michael Fassbender's performance as Steve Jobs. And I was try- and I actually was comparing it to, funny enough, uh, Ashton Kutcher's Jobs, you know, a performance. And like I said, uh, for, for for Michael Fassbender it was very polished. Um, but I feel like the there's certain nuances that Kutcher that uh, brought in um, that really kind of made me lean more towards the way, like, how he did Jobs, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, as a person. But, yeah, I mean, uh, good film still. And that's all, that's all I can really say about Steve Jobs. I have to watch it again, really, to kind of get a refresh memory.
1: <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, all right. For me... My number four film is The Chicago 7. We already talked quite a bit about it. I will say it's one of his best works, best ensemble cast of all of his movies, I would say. Uh, His other movies have, what, maybe three, four good uh, performances, good stars. I think there was like 10 in here. So that's definitely why I won't go any further into it since we just talked about it at length earlier in this episode. But yeah, that's where I put Chicago 7, number four on his list, on my list. So, uh, back over to you, Will. What is your number four film?
2: My number four film is Molly's Game. You should thank all of the
0: gods that there is no physical evidence hey, of that look. exchange. No, you look. look what are, are you, you going
2: to d- implore me to do the
0: right thing? This woman does not belong in a Rico indictment. Are you out of your minds? She does not belong in a mob indictment. She rigged the game, that's it, for seven months, two years ago. And why? Because she was giving credit in the millions and she didn't want to use muscle to collect. She has had
1: opportunity after
0: opportunity to greatly benefit herself by just telling the real stories that she knows. Okay, I have the forensic imaging going back to 2007. And I'm talking about text messages, emails, movie stars, rock stars, athletes, billionaires, all explicit. Some married with kids, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. What about the guy that comes this close to being the U.S. ambassador to Monaco? He's withdrawn from consideration at the last minute. No
2: one knows why. She does. Uh, this This one was a fun to, this one was fun to watch. It's a fascinating story about Molly Bloom and how she went from an Olympic skier to running a high stakes poker game and making millions. I think that that the fact that this was based on a true story, it was it just really caught my attention and thinking like, wow, like a woman that just went from this this life of becoming, you know, an Olympic medal uh, a medalist to all of a sudden like her whole life changing and then almost like making millions uh, running a like an underground high stakes poker game. So uh, it's a fun watch for me. Yeah. So yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I enjoyed this movie too I will say though The reason why I didn't make my list Is it had too many Of those sorkinisms I would say Like too those much. craft um. Yeah the, Like those crafted scenes That were meant To just purely Heighten the movie mm. For example There is that that Huge emotional climax Between Molly Bloom Played by Jessica Chastain And her father Played by Kevin Costner On a park bench uh, Facing an ice rink ah, Right I'm before sure. She goes back up uh, to, to meet up With El- Idris Elba Those types of scenes That were obviously Fabricated um to give some more dramatic weight to the story scenes like that just felt a little off to me but i still love the movie and i love poker which is another reason why the movie was do you great think it but, was
2: only because do you just felt like it was too on the nose because it yes, was more extremely extremely on the nose to kind of get a background of their relationship really like that was the only spot they could like aaron could could have fitted in i guess
1: yeah, I mean there had to be an emotional resolution yeah. because that was the co- that was her inner conflict driving her character's actions. Yeah. So there had to be some resolution that involved that. Makes I just sense. wish it, it was handled better, I yeah. think. Yeah.
2: I agree. Huh. Number All right.
1: 3. My number 3 and I wish it could have been a lot higher on my list, but that's the thing here. We're talking about some of the best works like that I've ever seen and my number 3 is A Few Good Men.
0: Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did.
1: Best courtroom scene in movie history. (laughs) The best. We're talking about Tom Cruise going toe to toe with Jack Nicholson. Amazing scene. Uh, Very well written. And of course, very well directed by Rob Reiner. There are no even close competitors to how good this scene is. All right. That was my number three. Over to your number three film, Will.
2: My number three is Chicago 7. As Ah. we've already discussed, powerhouse cast with solid editing, soundtrack, and story. Uh, It was just an amazing film. So, simple as that.
1: (laughs) All right. Your number two. We are plowing through this list. I like it. I like our momentum here. My number two. And this is almost a toss-up with my number one. But my number two is The West Wing.
0: You came to my house. Mr. President. You came to my house, Leo, and you said... Jed, let's run for president. And I said, why? And you said, so that you can open your mouth and say what you think. Sir. Where'd that part go, Leo? You tell me, Mr. President. I don't see a shortage of cameras or microphones around here. What the hell were you waiting for? Look. Everything you do. This morning. Everything you do says, for God's sake, Leo, I don't want to be a one-term president. Did I not say, put our guys on the FEC? No, sir, you did not. Leo. You said, no. You said, let's dangle our feet. In the water of whatever the hell it is we dangle our feet in when we want to make it look like we're trying without pissing too many people off. You're writing a fascinating version of history, my friend. Oh, take a look at Mandy's memo, Mr. President, and you'll read a fascinating version of it.
1: Um, This one, like I said, my top three films, they're all just so close to each other. Um, The West Wing had seven seasons, and the first five, which were written by Aaron Sorkin, uh, in my opinion, the first five seasons of this show is the best television in history it is that good watching a show like this it's almost you can't buy it now that's the thing Uh, i put it at number two but due to the nature of our country it's hard to watch a show like this where everyone is just so good so pure so idealistic right Uh, and it's hard to swallow a (laughs) pill like that no that's that's the thing it didn't feel fake at the time it felt like something that we can become if we if we worked at it right that's the concept. now it feels yes. now it feels a little fake i'll be honest with you yeah. but um the show dropped off after sorkin left and uh you know but at the same time even the entire show as a whole including the last two seasons i still consider it uh, one of my top five shows of all time wow. so great actors great performances we're talking rob Lowe, of course martin sheen bradley whitford Amazing actors that have gone on to do some incredible work after. And, of course, Academy Award winner Allison Janney, who won multiple Emmys, uh, playing C.J. Craig, the uh, press secretary. Um, Really, really great show. It can be seen on Netflix if you want to watch it. I highly encourage you to do so. So that is my number two. Over to you, Will. What is your number two? Uh,
2: My number two is The Social Network. Ah. Yeah. Mr. your Mark! Mark! He's wired in. Sorry? He's wired in. Is he? Yes. How about now? You're still wired in? Full security. You issued 24 million new shares of stock. You were told that if new investors came along... How much were your shares diluted? How much were his? What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%. Amazing cinematography, amazing soundtrack, and great casts. Amazing directing, of course. It's crazy how far... (laughs) facebook has come in our day and in our lives uh yeah totally yeah it, it's just yeah it, it was such a such a interesting whirlwind of like where this company started and how how where it ended up even today and, yeah. and it's still and it's still progressing so hmm. yeah
1: great um uh, your number two film is my number one film hey. the social network okay yeah I think it's Sorkin's best work because of what Fincher did with the words on the page. Yes. yes. You had many star making uh, performances, including Rooney Mara, Andrew Garfield, um, Jesse Eisenberg, of course. Um, Sorkin had a cameo in this, actually. And I think this film is so relevant today because of of what it deals with. Uh, Right now, social media um, dominates our lives and it gives us community at the same time isolates us. And if there's anything that we are today, it's isolated due to the pandemic and due to just the circumstances <laughs> and situations that we're in. So, this film uh, has a huge amount of long lasting weight to it that I think makes it extremely relevant even today. Uh, and For of the course, rest of our that lives, script, probably. Yeah. 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 And of course, that script, which won him an Oscar, which was 180 pages long, but somehow they fit it into a two hour movie. Amazing, amazing film. That wow. is my number one. Yep. Back over to you, Phil. Uh, Back over to you, Will. What is your number one movie?
2: (laughs) Back over to you, Joe. (laughs) Okay. Uh, My number one, and I'm realizing all of my films are based on a true story. (laughs) My number one is Moneyball
1: 1092
0: divided by three, 364. That's what we're looking for. Three ball players, three ball players whose average OBP is 364. But that doesn't look right. That doesn't come out right. It's right, Artie. Billy? You got to carry the one. Right? Billy. That's, that's his name. Yeah. Who's that? That's Pete. Does Pete really need to be here? Yes, he does.
2: I, I actually recently just watched this. Uh, funny that I've avoided, or not even avoided, I just never got around to watching this, but... This is such an awesome story of baseball that I it cannot is. believe was a true story. I, I I was like, what? And I literally had to research the the whole you know Oakland A's uh, time and and just the sweep that they did. It it made me appreciate the sport of baseball more because I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but I I love just the history of it. And solid acting, man, solid acting by Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Yeah. I, I, they made yeah. such a good duo. And really worked well together in, in chemistry, in in just vibes and everything. It was yeah also my favorite yeah
1: my favorite line of the film. Uh, I laughed out loud was when um, Brad Pitt is in the living room of a potential player that they're trying to pick up, played by Chris Pratt before he became a megastar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Pitt is in there with one of his coaching um, staff members, and he's telling Chris Pratt that he wants him to switch over and play for a Space, right? And then uh, Brad Pitt is like. Uh, I want you to play first base, and then Chris Pratt's character is like, "What? Uh, I don't know if I could do that." And then Brad Pitt is something says something along the lines of, "Oh, it's easy. Tell him." And he looks over to his uh, his, his like, manager, his, co- yeah. yeah, yeah. And then he's like, "It's, it's very, incredibly hard. Very difficult. Hard. <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying."
2: <laughs> that was a good, so funny good scene. My actually, my yeah. my favorite scenes was when they were uh, remember how like Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill they're trying to uh, rebuild the team. And they're in his, Brad Pitt's office and making all these phone calls, making all these bids, making all these like statistical choices. And I was literally fascinated with like, wow, uh, they took they got they, they lost three of their best players and they were going to rebuild a team based upon those three best players percentages, percentages. And, and just the way it was happening, I was like, this cannot be real. There's no way, yeah. mathematically speaking, and and so, but it was, and and they did, yeah. and I was just in awe of that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And Moneyball still works, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, I they, mean, they still use it. It hasn't yeah. really. Yeah, it's basically like playing small ball, and so, uh, well, supposedly the, that's the, how the
2: Boston Red Sox won the the World Series. Yeah, even though he and even the
1: yeah, yeah even the Devil Rays who uh, made it to game six, up to game six of the World Series. Yeah. One of the lowest payrolls in baseball, they just don't play their they they don't pay their guys, but they use statistics and analytics to kind of win games. And it took them really close to the brink of winning a championship, you know? Such a chess a match. It works. It literally yeah. was
2: like a chess match. It was really crazy just how yeah. they changed the game of baseball, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. That was our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Woo. I know I sure did yes. talking through this with you, Will. Yes. Um We will be back next week with a review of the films Borat 2, as well as the film Charm City Kings on HBO Max. Until then, stay safe, wear a mask. The numbers are going back up, but hopefully that cure will come very, very soon, which was just announced, by the way. So that's something to look forward to. But in the meantime, we will see you next week.
2: See you next week. better
1: nice.